Welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And on this episode, the first in a special duology of episodes. A two-part series, a two-parter. if you will. So this is, uh, we're tackling a series that is, um, well, it's long enough that I feel like trying to cram it onto one episode would be too much. Yeah. I would I would just talk for two hours straight and nobody wants that. So we're going to break it down into two episodes, hopefully of a manageable length for all of us. Let's hope so. That series is, as you know if you've looked at the title of the episode, Mission Impossible! Yeah. So on and so forth. Yeah, we did the thing already. Yes. <laughs> so on this episode, we will be discussing Missions Impossible <laughs> 1, 2, and 3. Do any of those have subtitles? No, this okay. is before subtitles. <laughs> well, this is before these movies had subtitles. Yes. Other movies had subtitles <laughs> already, like, you know, Hellraiser 2, Hellworld, or Cube 2, Hypercube. Sure, yeah. What I'm saying is the the, the subtitle game, subtitles. The subtitle game had already been perfected long before the Mission Impossible series reached that point. Sounds good. So we have watched the first three three movies. Yes, we have. Or I've watched all of them. I've watched all six. Mm-hmm. I'm very fond of them. Kelsey, you've only seen the first three as of right now. That is correct. And then we were going to watch the last three. Yeah, I don't know why I'm belaboring this point. Everyone gets that. They, they, <laughs> you get what we're doing, right? Like, I know what you we're, get doing. What we're doing. You know okay. what we're doing. I would think if people know that there's six movies, they can figure it out. Yeah. So for anyone who does not know, which I feel like is probably not a lot of people because these movies are pretty well known. Even before I saw any of them, I sort of knew, I knew they existed for, I mean, they've existed for like most of my life. It's crazy. The series has been running since 1996, 23 years, and is showing no signs of stopping. There's at least one more film like on the books to be released, maybe two. I mean, I would assume Tom Cruise has to die for them to stop. I mean, yeah. They, they Possibly can, doing a Mission I Impossible think, movie. Well, well, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> we will get there. How much do you want to bet Tom Cruise has like a stipulation as well of like, if I die during a Mission Impossible movie, you have to finish and release the movie. And then no more Mission Impossible movies can be made. Right. I feel like that's the thing Tom Cruise would want to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, as long as we're on the subject of Mr. Cruise, I would just want to address <laughs> this thing right up front. Uh, I don't really like Tom Cruise as a person. Neither of us probably, do. Uh, I mean, I don't know anything about his like actual personality, which I think is by design from his point of view, because he's part of this like old like school of movie stars where you weren't really meant to know anything about their personal lives. Whereas now it's like part of the job is like projecting an air of like something false intimacy and like like a, a, being a character at all times, basically, uh, which is in many ways fun. In many ways, I think probably unhealthy. But the real the real thing about Tom Cruise is his involvement with Scientology, which is obviously gross and bad. And Scientology is a harmful, destructive organization. And his relationship with them is clearly like, you know, you know, giving them a lot of credence, giving them a lot more. I don't know how much more power, but it's definitely to help them out. And it's helped them to do what they do, which is a lot of bad stuff. But we're not talking about Tom Cruise. Not no, really. no. But I want to I want to say, uh, first of all, my sort of I have two like mental outs that let me get get around that because for like for several years like even after i became interested in these movies i put them off because i was like no i can't support tom cruise because i i read going clear and by not watching these movies i'm sending a strong signal to mr <laughs> cruise that his behavior is unacceptable are you but i've gotten well i've gotten over that now. <laughs> i'm glad i have not just because these movies um bring me a good deal of joy in my life or i guess really just because that actually yeah. but my my two mental outs that i give myself and you at home are free to use these two is that one, as bad as Scientology is, I personally believe that the Catholic Church has caused 
an untold like amount of damage that does not even you can't even like it's not they're not even playing in the same fucking league <laughs> and i'm sure there's plenty of like you know public figures who have you know aided and abetted the catholic church's many many crimes against humanity uh and i don't really uh think about that when i'm watching their movies or voting for them or whatever well reasoned yeah yeah i mean that's not a perfect analogy because there's few like public figures who have the same uh, uh relationship with their faith as tom cruise does but yeah. you know uh my, I, mean, my... I can't think of any movie stars that are like friends with the pope but right <laughs> <laughs> God, who would who would the pope want to be friends with oh jude this law pope? obviously i mean jude law the young pope because they have so much in common the hot pope yeah they, they can they can sort of just gab back and forth about what's it like being the young pope what's it like being the old pope <laughs> anyway my second uh out and this is not really an out so much as a, a way i like to approach these movies is that because of that and because of who tom cruise is in general like his scientology stuff is one of only many many factors that have led to the the, the strange uh, state of being now where it is i think impossible to watch a tom cruise movie and not spend the whole time thinking it's tom cruise that's uh, a <laughs> tom cruise up there that's the actor tom cruise he's doing stuff and that's tom cruise i, I'm not, you, you, I don't see a character i see tom cruise the dead-eyed psychopath. And, and, in, and in ways we will probably <laughs> discuss more later, that's a good thing in these movies, I think. Yeah. But also, I think there is something to be said for uh, watching a giant like, sp- spectacle of a movie that, that costs like, the GDP of a small country to make and enjoying it, but not really like losing yourself into the fantasy fully. I think there's something to be said for being aware at all times, or on some level at least, of the machinery behind the movie you're watching. That doesn't really hold true for all movies but for the movies tom cruise makes it's usually an okay an okay thing to think especially with these movies which are so much about process and and like like stunt work and spectacle in a way that it really it kind of helps you to be thinking about it on that level um so anyway that sort of is my thing i'm not going to be getting back into that at all for the rest of this okay i wanted to get it out there for my own satisfaction sounds good so mission impossible is a series based on an old TV show that I know basically nothing about uh, that the, these these movies don't seem to borrow a whole lot from as far as I can tell. Other than the theme song. The theme song, uh, some, some stuff in the first movie. And that's basically, I think, like the loose idea of an impossible impossible mission force that a group of, uh, sort of like, well, it's actually, it's, no, it's not even a group of people. It's a whole government agency devoted to doing impossible missions. Whose government? I'm not quite sure. The U.S., is it? I think it's pretty clearly the U.S. government. Okay. They're, I mean, it's not really clearly anything. But I think <laughs> all, all the bosses we see in the movies are Americans. That's true. And they certainly seem like, they're kind of like the CIA. If the CIA was like fucking rad <laughs> and not like, you know, just doing evil shit all the time. But um, I'm just I'm just calling them out this episode, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting into You're it. You're really going there. I'm going after those. Yeah, I'm going after those real like the targets no one else will go after. The CIA. The Catholic Church. <laughs> the CIA. Broadly speaking, these movies are about well Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise is nominally playing a character Ethan named Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt, which is a I don't think we really take enough time in our in in, in this world to acknowledge what a weird name that is. It's a very goofy like. It's a 90s action hero name. Yeah. Ethan Hunt. Like a very just like random normie guy name with like a cool action-y like verb for his, his last name. Ethan Hunt. I'm trying to think of like other action hero names, that, but it's escaping. Like what's... Well, it just feels like a very 90s thing. Like... like yeah. Like Patrick Rush. Yeah. <laughs> J- Johnny Cut. <laughs> it's not good. But these movies are about 
Ethan Hunt. Yeah. And his life as a, you know, a spy traveling over the world, having adventures. He's a spy. Doing action. And that's basically it. The movies are basically have been for most of their existence just sort of vehicles for Tom Cruise and whatever director he wants to work with to just come in and do a bunch of cool spy stuff. That has changed uh, pretty recently, but we won't get to that this episode. And then the three we're totally discussing, the three movies we're talking about this episode, Mission Impossible 1, directed by Brian De Palma, Mission Impossible 2, directed by John Woo, and Mission Impossible 3, directed by J.J. Abrams, his feature film debut, by the way. The three directors mentioned, I feel, have very specific styles. Yeah. And, and it is very obvious. <laughs> yeah, because that's what it was. They, yeah. These movies came out like four to six years apart the, every the time. The first one in general, too, like, yeah. is like and very they, like, specific. And there was very, very little connective tissue between them. There's really only one one character that's sort of like, aside from Ethan, yeah. that comes goes through one, one, one movie to the next. But other than that, it was really, they were sort of like self-contained in a way. Again, that changes as the movies go on. I, I'm going to try not to do this too much this episode, but I'm just so, I like these movies a lot, but I'm incredibly fond of like the three most recent ones. Yeah. And I kind of feel like this is as if we were watching the Star Wars movies, but the 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 prequels were actually made first. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually just like built up to like the three movies everyone enjoys. Hmm. So let's begin, Kelsey. At the very with, beginning. At the very beginning. A very good place to start mm-hmm. with Mission Impossible 1. From 1996. Just Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Mission colon impossible. This movie, um, again, well, the, the plot doesn't really matter. The plot does not the plot, matter. The, the, the movie is, uh, broadly speaking, the movie opens with Ethan Hunt on a mission in Prague. Yes. Where his whole team gets wiped out, and he is believed to be a mole inside IMF, and he has to go on the run and clear his name by playing a bunch of sides against each other. And it's, it's kind of confusing. But that's not really what matters. What matters is the suspense the action, the filmmaking. But Kelsey, I wanted to get your impression of this movie because I have spoken for like 13 straight minutes uninterrupted <laughs> and I want you to I want to make space for your voice. So this movie um, is very 1996. <laughs> um, like you can feel the 1996 in it. In that, uh, a couple things. The plot is kind of a little bit convoluted and, and hard to follow. I spent most of the first half being like, did they go to Prague or is this a set? That's when you weren't uh, uh, mooning over Emilio Estevez. Yes, also Emilio Estevez is in the very first part of this movie. And he, I like Emilio Estevez and he charmed me with his character. And then they killed him like 15 minutes into the movie. Pretty gruesomely too. Yeah, it was fit. Like, I, the thing is, like, I really like an action movie that has a team. And then the beginning of Mission Impossible 1 sets up this fun, like, team that's been working together and they've got a good rapport and they tease each other and someone wants to go out with someone else and it's a whole thing. And then they just wipe them all out, which was upsetting, especially for Emilio, (laughs) (laughs) who got gored through the eyes. (laughs) Well, Emilio is one of the two people in that um, sequence that, oh, spoiler warning, I guess, for the first three Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. He's one of the only two people in that whole, like... Uh, a cadre that is actually killed. Yeah. I think they, they wanted you to make sure that you like actually you know, know he's, he's dead. killed. Yeah. Which also makes you like, when you see the other people die, you think like, Oh, they Emilio Estevez is really dead. Yeah. So they're really dead too. Yeah. So you're a little bit, cause you know, he's the first balance. one that dies yeah. too, which is upsetting for me. Cause yeah. it's uh, cause I was given a team and that team was ripped out from under me. But you know, I guess they made me feel something. They did. They put you in the same place as Ethan Hunt. Yeah. 
I, I feel like I felt more than Ethan Hunt did, but you know. That's true, because Ethan Hunt <laughs> says, you've never seen me very upset, which you, you could not say to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, it, it feels very 90, 1996 also in that the, um, we talked a, a lot about uh, the, the female lead of this movie is like too pretty. In that, like, it very much feels like she was cast to be a love interest and not, like... Like, it feels like she was cast, at like, because she looks pretty. Yeah, Emmanuel <laughs> Bayart, yeah. as I think how you say that name, is the love interest in the movie. Yeah. And she does look like... Yeah, I don't want to... I don't want to... I don't want to, like, get on her about her very beautiful appearance. No, but she is, like... She's, like, model beautiful. Especially in this, in this movie, she is, like... She has these, like, very full lips... Yeah, uh, just sort of a very classically like like you know traditionally beautiful face. Her hair, her hair is what gets me. Her right? hair is so good all the time. It's perfect in every moment. <laughs> and this is a series that uh, has some good hair. Yeah, but this hair is like, yeah, it, it's it's and they, and they don't give the character a lot to do. Oh and no, and it's that's like always true. revolving around either Ethan or John Voight. John Voight, <laughs> who is name escapes me uh, he is jim phelps yeah which is he he that was the main character yeah in the original tv show yeah which so, is the one thing i know about that tv show yeah i mean i think you know complaint about the first movie is you know not enough for female characters to do in general and it's just like it's not very believable but you don't really care because the stunts are good <laughs> and there's like a whole thing with a fit like a giant fish tank restaurant <laughs> Um, the, the, this, this is when I really fell in love with this movie. This first movie is <laughs> yeah. when the, he has his meeting with the with Kittredge, the yes. head of the IMF. Kittredge is great. Great character. <laughs> uh, like, could, honestly, I was rooting for Kittredge a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was glad he wasn't the bad bad yeah. guy. <laughs> he was just doing his job. Yeah. No, he wasn't great at it, but he also, you know, he was yeah. up against the, the, the incredible mind of John Voight. Yeah. But uh, he meets with Kittredge in this restaurant. And as he discovers that Kittredge is like suspicious of him as the mole, mm-hmm. uh, this restaurant for some reason is built so that it is both when you eat, you're both in front of and underneath a series of giant aquariums. <laughs> so Ethan, of course, throws a little like tiny bomb he has. This and, was the most Brian De Palma scene and, of the whole and, movie. And then blows up the, the the tanks and everything explodes. And Tom Cruise just runs out in slow motion away yeah. from the giant wave of water for a couple beats longer than you think he's going to run for. Definitely. Like you think, oh, they're going to cut away any second now, but you see him. Like run yeah. the whole way out. Like they legit bursted up a fish tank, and they <laughs> wanted you to know. And the streets of Prague. In the street, I think that was probably a set, but yeah, I don't know honestly. I feel like if there was a fish tank restaurant in Prague, I would have seen it. So I think that restaurant is a set. I just okay. think the streets outside were maybe a, the actual streets. Yes, the, those streets were very empty. That was like the one time I was like, I don't think that's Prague. <laughs> <laughs> they did go to Prague though. We, that's true. It is we, in uh, Prague. We uh. Because apparently Brian De Palma was like, you know, you don't see a lot of movies take place. Prague. Prague. I think that's not true, though, is it? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that this probably began that that trend. The think, sort of like vaguely Central European countries where spy movies take place. Yeah. Well, maybe when you put it that way, no. But Prague is like specifically. Prague. Don't you have another spy movie that takes place in Prague? I mean, I just think they all. They, I feel like yeah, they has to. Born has to go to Prague at some point in those movies, I don't right? I think he does. Maybe oh. he does. He goes a lot of places. Bourne? Yeah. I don't want to talk about Jason Bourne. I'm sorry. I want to talk about Ethan Hunt. I like the Bourne movies a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, when we get to those movies. They're not as fun as these. Um, There's some fun overlap in that series with, regarding Jeremy Renner that we will get to Ooh. later on. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I actually haven't seen the Jeremy Renner Bourne movie. 
anyway. think that that's probably the case for a lot of people. <laughs> was it you or was it Sarah who was talking about? There's like this, I think for all three of these movies or the first two, the first two, there's very much a like movies before 9-11 happened thing that you oh, like. Oh, this was probably me because this, this is all I talk about now is, is what pop culture was like before and immediately after 9-11 and how it's that changed weird. American life forever. It's weird because you can feel it. You can you can really feel it. Like yeah. the, the impact that had on the culture of America, I think, has been understated, if anything. Yeah. Like it sort of it changed the entire outlook of basically everything we produced in terms of like big, well, big and small, I guess. Yeah. There's this feeling of like, you know, we're at the we're at the end of history. Our empire is like as is this massive, unstoppable thing. We're the only superpower left, and we're just gonna do whatever we want. Are we the only superpower left? Well, at that point, we yeah, we were because oh, we defeated yeah. Russia. Or oh, the, right. the Soviet Union collapsed, and that was that that was our only real competition. Oh, you mean like in the nineties, pre in the nineties, yeah, pre yeah, uh, yeah. pre nine eleven, okay. and nothing can touch us, and everything we do is just for our own our own amusement. Yeah, and then but, the third one is after nine eleven, right? Yes, yeah, yes, and you you can feel it. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can actually feel it because there are because the, the 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 action in three is a little bit more war movie ish. Yeah, it doesn't go all in, but it's like they're blowing up warehouses in the first ten minutes for no real reason, really. Whereas this movie is really. It's built around like three set pieces essentially. There's mm-hmm. that first uh, break in that goes wrong where the whole team gets killed. Only actually two of them really get killed. Yeah. Uh, there's the climactic thing where they uh, they're on the, the train. Three of them get killed, right? Uh, I guess so. The girl blows up in the car. Amelia Westervelt dies, and the um, what's her name? Kirsten Scott Thomas dies. Right? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. She gets she gets stabbed. Yeah. And a very confusing sequence. It's yeah. So, like throws me off whenever I see it. Yeah. But then there's the one in the middle, which is sort of the, the big centerpiece of the movie, is the Langley heist. Yes. Which is the famous thing where Tom Cruise ends up like dangling from the, the thing inside the, the giant white room. And it is so good. It's very good. It still works just as well now as I assume it did back then. Yeah. Which it must have because it was such a, it, it was it was so parodied and like referenced yeah. that it, it must have had that sort of effect on people and it has that thing that like i think action movies now do a lot more that like something like the Bourne movies doesn't do as much as where it's like serious but there's like humor in like they see the humor in and the ridiculousness of the situation even here where we're still not totally leaning into it yeah um with like that how they get him out of the room like because it's funny like and it's purposely funny it's not just ridiculously funny yeah that that i think was also a very 90s movie thing where you could you could you could use humor to like both play something straight mm-hmm. and also like acknowledge how ridiculous it was mm-hmm. it, that's a, and that's also takes a very specific kind of filmmaking skill and like i mean i was watching you watch the the langley heist yeah. it was it was i think it's fair to say you were not super invested in the movie up to that point no but that thing just works on you yeah it's like it's like it gets you invested all the, it's almost all completely silent because that's the the impossible mission yes the langley heist is the impossible mission yeah i, I would argue the first and the last uh, sequence are both sort of impossible too what the last sequence is escaping me right now for some that's reason. when they're on the train and tom cruise yeah. has to like crawl on the top of that train for like yeah a thousand but miles I, I feel like the langley heist is very much like they go through the like there's like you know pressure sensors and temperature sensors and a laser grid and like you can only get in this way and we have to get the guy out like there's you know that's the sequence where we have the moment everything has to go exactly right whereas in the other the other two sequences like there's uh, 
options, kind of, if something goes yeah. wrong. Yeah, number uh, number two, the Langley Heist is the only sequence in the movie where you, we get the whole like, here's what we got to do. Yeah. We're going to go down here. Which and is she, my favorite and, part of an action and movie. And showing you the thing that they're going to do. And it's yeah. like, oh, I love this. It's my favorite thing. I love that because it's always- I love like, a heist. You know me. I love that setup too because it's always like, oh man, I'm, it's already happening. Yeah. Because you, you, part of your brain's like, oh, now I got to listen to them talk about this thing. Not but they're in it. But then they're, all of a sudden they're doing it. They're and I'm in like, it. I'm like, whoa, you're one step ahead of me. And it works every time. I love it. It's just great. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just, um, it's just Tom Cruise and and John John Renault. Yeah. Sort of like crawling around vents and like you know trying not to get trying not to get caught in this thing. This incredibly like tense situation, and so quiet. And the the suspense is so well keyed up that like when a single bead of sweat like rolls down Tom Cruise's forehead, and you're like, yeah, you're like like, like, super tense. You're like holding your breath, and then they do this great thing where. Ving Rhames shows up in the se- in the sequence or in the setup to the sequence as Luther, Luther Strickland. Luther's, Sorry, Lu- Luther Stickle. Luther's great. Luther is <laughs> Luther is the best character. Uh, he's the only possible. character in this movie that does not betray Tom Cruise and or die. <laughs> so at the end, like you know, Jim Phelps is revealed to be the mastermind. Yeah. Claire was on it with him. They are both they are both killed. Renault uh, betrays him. J- J- well, yeah, John Renault betrays him and tries whose to. Whose name escapes me? But... Yeah. Um. Uh. He has some some weird. Uh, Fra- Franz Krieger. Krieger. Franz Krieger. Franz Krieger. It's like because he's definitely French, but he has a very German, German name. name. Yeah. Um, he's Austrian. But yeah, they. By the way, they kill Jim Phelps in a very clearly like this dude is dead sort yeah. of way, where he's hanging from a helicopter and he gets his face dragged along the bottom of like a, a train tunnel, <laughs> going like a hundred miles an hour. It's fantastic. Yeah. And so that the movie ends, and we're left with really again like Luther and. And Ethan seem like they've sort of formed some sort of bond with each other, which will carry through, like, the rest of the franchise. But it's also it's also funny because the movie is, you know, part of it turns on Ethan and Claire, the love interest, like, having some sort of chemistry. Not a lot of it, not, like, too yeah. much, but that is part of, like, what, what sort of, like, motivates the final, like, I, mo- I, final uh, sequence. I will say the least believable part of this movie is, like, Tom Cruise doing research. Oh man! <laughs> like the, Tom Cruise doing like the the like the literary legwork of spying is just man. not believable. It's just well, not believable. Because most of the actual like thing that's supposed to be like his like detective work, yeah, quote unquote, is him sitting at a computer, a nineteen ninety six ass computer, t- like searching the like, like user net like <laughs> some, titles, some weird thing. Uh, and he's using email in a way that email is not meant to be used. No. And 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 yeah, fortunately, there's not a lot of that. But Grave. We totally forgot about Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave. Okay, so my point was that, that <laughs> Tom Cruise and uh, Emmanuel do not have very good chemistry. No. Whereas, whereas Tom Cruise and Luther or Ving Rhames have yeah. great chemistry yeah. because you truly believe by the end of the movie that they are they like each Friends, other. Yeah. Because because first of all, Ving Rhames is like the audience surrogate during the Langley yeah. Heist. He's he, great. Like you watch him watching he Tom Cruise. He saves this movie. And he's doing he's doing he's doing like the <gasps> like the gas and like the yeah. size of relief when things go well, which is a brilliant move because yeah. Ving Rhames is so likable in this role. If, if Ving really... Rhames wasn't in this movie, it would not be a good movie. Yeah, which also I think or even a, a fun movie. Which I think sets up an interesting thing where um, that means that if if Ving Rhames, if Luther is the audience surrogate, yeah. that means we're not meant to identify with Ethan Hunt. We're meant to be just watching him and being in awe of what he's doing. Which yeah, which tracks. We, yeah, which tracks. <laughs> but I do. I'm glad you brought Vanessa Redgrave because she is. Um, I mean, Tom Cruise looks so young in this. Yeah. And which is, you know, it was 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. But somehow, for some reason, I'm always surprised by how young Vanessa Redgrave looks. Vanessa in this. Redgrave look, looks great, 
And also, can we put Vanessa Redgrave in more things now? Can we give her like Helen Mirren roles? <laughs> yeah. She still got it. She still got it. She's good. I don't know the last thing I saw her in, but she still she still got she, it. She still got it, surely. Mm-hmm. And what I like about she sort of is the the head of the you know, um, I can't, don't even know how to explain it well. She's she's basically the the villain of the movie, you know, in a sense. She's she's the villain that they are chasing in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Their true villain turns out to be the traitorous Jim Phelps, but she is one of the uh, forces, the antagonistic forces in the movie. And she and Tom Cruise actually have great chemistry. They do. Like you, you totally buy that she wants to definitely like, have sex with this dude. I wish she would come back as another villain, like as the villain yeah. again. Yeah. She doesn't die in this movie. She does so not she, die. She could come back. I don't know if she would want to now. Yeah. But she she looks great. She's her, she's having a lot of fun with the role, which is really good to see. Yeah. And also, she she definitely wants to have sex with Ethan Hunt, which I think is kind of hilarious because. And also, like, but like <laughs> Tom Cruise in nineteen ninety six, like that was probably an easy sell. Yeah. Nowadays, if a character wants to have sex with Tom Cruise in a movie, you'd be like, um, um. <laughs> "You okay?" So, Kelsey, any any final thoughts on MI one before we move on to? Mission Impossible 2? Of the Mission Impossible movies that I have seen thus far, this is ranked number two. <laughs> okay. So we're starting with one. Yeah. Which you'd rank number two. Yes. And moving on to two. Yes. Which I think you would probably rank number three. That is correct. Is that a, is that a fair <laughs> that assumption? That is correct because it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> uh, folks, it's the bad one. It's the bad one. I, I hate I hate that it is the the, the, the I hate I don't like that any of these movies are bad. Yeah. Although I do I do hold to the philosophy that a thing cannot be truly great yeah. without part of it being kind of bad. Mm-hmm. And this is where all that gets contained into one movie. Yeah. I mean, Danny Newton does her best. She tries to save it, but she just can't. Mission <laughs> Impossible two. <laughs> you know, John Woo directing. John Woo, you know, famous Hong Kong action movie director. Mm-hmm. Director of Face Off, starring Nicolas Cage Doves. and John Travolta. Lover of doves and, and aerial, you know, the gun acrobatics. Mm. Uh, it was four years after the first one. And we, we have very strongly shifted into that early 2000s vibe. Yes. That 1999, 2000 vibe that you can just feel, where everything feels kind of plastic and bright. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. I know exactly. Because like saying. the first one has like kind of a gritty, like very Eastern European, like low light gray vibe. Yeah, and that's also helped by Brian De Palma, who was a you know massively obsessed with Hitchcock. So all, yeah. everything he does has sort of like rooted in this very classical film style. Whereas John Woo, not not certainly not in the same like realm of classical film that I'm familiar with, and uh, and also he leans into some very early 2000s tropes in this. Can I just describe the opening? Because the opening yes. is, is sort of is like the ultimate, like, well, it's not the opening opening, because the opening opening is, is, is Doug Ray Scott. Uh, uh, what is the opening opening? The opening opening is, is, is the scene on the plane where Doug Ray Scott as Sean Ambrose oh, is, right, is, is right, right, pretending right, right. to be Ethan Hunt, and, yeah. and this the whole thing. Yeah. I could describe the plot of this movie, but it's not that interesting. No, well, other than just no people can wear other people's faces. Yeah, and that's a... That's the, really the, all the, you the need face, to know. The face technology, the face mask technology was... Uh, established in, in the first one established right? in the first movie but the the thing is in the first movie they can't talk yeah like, you still sound like yourself which yeah. is sort of like it plays out in some, in some fun ways in the first yeah. movie in this one you can appear like someone else and also have their voice yeah. and there's really no downside to it yeah and in the first one we don't see anyone like we don't see any characters impersonating other characters like tom cruise impersonates a character that he also plays like does that make sense yeah, we also impersonate Jim Phelps at the very end oh, to right. get Claire to confess yeah. to what, what right. they're doing. Yeah. 
Um, but it, it, this movie opens up with Tom Cruise doing some evil stuff. But we turn out, it turns out it's actually Sean Ambrose, as portrayed by Doug Ray Scott, whose name I keep mentioning because the one thing I'll say about this character, well, the one good thing about this character, mm-hmm. is that D- Doug Ray Scott uh, playing this role, because of playing this role, he was unable to play Wolverine in the first X-Men movie, oh. leading Brian Singer to cast Hugh Jackman, huh. and thus changing the course of film history forever. Yeah. Like, truly. Like, like, truly. It's possible we would not have superhero movies in the same way we do if that had not gone the way it did. I, I, I that theory tracks. Yeah, because Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is, like, the, possibly the, the keystone of those, all those movies. Definitely. And if it wasn't for X-Men 1, we wouldn't have, I don't know, it would, things would we be different. We definitely wouldn't have any of the subsequent X-Mens. No, we would not. And I, I want to say that we might not have The Greatest Showman. <sighs> hmm. Because I like. Whoa would, you, whoa! would you say that X Men that being Wolverine is what sort of made Hugh Jackman? Oh yeah, that's what made him at least a bankable star. Yeah, that could do shit like The Greatest Showman. Exactly. <laughs> we wouldn't have The uh, Greatest Showman. What a great, what a fantastic movie. Yeah. Mission Impossible Two. The the actual you know the, that's the sort of the prologue. The opening mm-hmm. of the movie really Ugh. is um. We see Tom Cruise. We, we, the we, most 2000 sequence ever. We, 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 we pan basically across the entire uh, country of Australia <laughs> into the, um, you know, the, the, the cliffs, the red rock cliffs. Are he's, he's in Australia at this point? It doesn't matter. He's, he's on vacation. He's free soloing. He's free soloing. Tom Cruise is free soloing on the side of a cliff. For and Kelsey's having a panic attack. Because he's... So <laughs> it's, it's important to point out, this is where the sort of the trend really begins of Tom Cruise doing his own stunts in these yeah. movies and like it being sort of a thrilling and also somewhat nauseating thing to watch. Because he was, you know, he was like suspended in these in, this, in these shots. He yeah. was, he had a cable on. He was not like actually free soloing. But there was nothing below him. And he was actually doing this stuff. And like John Woo talks in one of the, the behind the scenes featurettes about like, how when they were shooting this moment, these, this this sequence, he couldn't look at the monitor. So he would like, he would like yell action and like close his eyes and just pray that Tom Cruise didn't I mean, fall to same, his death. Same John Woo. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. But the best thing about the sequence is not seeing Tom Cruise do this ridiculously scary thing, which gives me like panic attack. If you've seen if you've seen Free Solo, this is like it, this this is. I can never see Free Solo. Yeah, don't see Free Solo. You should not <laughs> see it. I think I mean I enjoyed it and I'm glad I saw it. But if I think about that movie now, I break out in like a cold sweat. It's so horrifying to me that someone would do so that. I'm so afraid of heights. But anyway, or not Tom, like heights, but like falling from heights. Even, even <laughs> well, yeah. The well, the potentiality. So like, I don't like high buildings aren't scary. You could fall out of those. Things. But like, if I'm in like in enclosed, it's the know. like cliff thing. Yeah, I get it. But he 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 finishes climbing. He climbs up on the cliff, mm-hmm. and you the, the thing about this is you eventually realize that he's not doing this for any reason. He's just doing this for the hell of it. Because it's fun. So he climbs up on the top of the cliff. Because he's on vacation. A helicopter pulls up. So a man inside wearing like wearing a suit and sunglasses fires a missile at him. It lands on the ground. Uh, the helicopter flies away. Tom Cruise opens up the missile, pulls out a pair of Oakley sunglasses, puts them on, and sees Oakley's the... Oakley's man. The, oh, that's the most 2000 see, thing, yeah. right? And he's, and he's given his mission for the movie. <sighs> yeah. From from uh, from Anthony Hopkins. And he picks, picks up... Anthony Hopkins He takes off the this. sunglasses. Yep, he's in it. Throws them at the camera, and they explode load into the title sequence and that and then, uh, while while the limp biscuit cover of the theme song plays beneath it if that is not the most year 2000 thing to ever happen i don't know what is and the thing is that's actually awesome <laughs> and there are some things 
toward in like the final action sequence and then sort of halfway through a little bit too that are like cool over the top kind of dumb but still fun action things mm -hmm. and if the whole movie was like that it would be more watchable but the whole plot hinges on us believing that he and Tandy Newton fell in love. Yes, he is sent And again, no. <laughs> he is sent to recruit Tandy Newton's character for a job. Um, the job turns out to be getting her to go back to her abusive ex-boyfriend and like live with him. It's not great. In order to gather information. It's a real downer is a thing. It's like a, yeah. it's a bummer that she has to do this. And we don't even know this character, but it's such a... There's not like a sense of like fun and yeah. excitement to it. Also, the, way the whole there was. plot is like um, it has to do with like a pandemic disease, yeah, and keeping it contained, which is also a huge downer. Yeah, and also there's not there's not like a lot of like globe trotting action fun. Most of the movie is just them hanging out in the suburbs of Australia. Anyway, things go wrong from there, and Tom Cruise has to do like break into to a place and do some action stuff to save the day. Which of course, I mean, like for me the the. the the thing that makes this movie bad is that you don't be you don't believe for a second that Tanya Newton and Tom Cruise are in love. No, because they fall in love by I don't know, like they're he's chasing her in a car for some convoluted reason. Oh god, they, that sequence! They end up like the cars are, like locked next to each other and they're spinning around and they're looking gazing at each, each other. other's eyes. Oh. It is so. I mean, I get this movie is meant to be over the top, but it is so far from any recognizable human emotion. Yeah. The the rest of the movie, uh, unlike the first one, the rest of the movie is driven by him falling in love with her. Yeah. And her. I guess falling in love with him as well. And that's like, that's like what drives the plot essentially, or at least motivates his actions throughout the rest of the movie. And it, you don't believe it. No. And I, and I don't see how you really could. And again, this wouldn't be a problem if the movie was more about Tom Cruise doing crazy shit and like slow motion doves and like backflip kicks, but it's not crazy motorcycle chases. A lot of it's about this, like, like I said, this real bummer of a situation playing yeah. out. So yeah, uh, Mission Impossible Two, not great. Was there anything you liked about it? Um, I like Luther. Because Luther's back. Luther's back. He's still there. He is the one um, connecting thread between this movie and the first one. Other than that, the events of that movie are not even vaguely referenced. And Luther actually never references them either. But you see, when they when they meet back up again, you again you get the feeling like these two have hung out between movies. Yeah. They are friends. I like the one henchman. <laughs> I liked him. <laughs> oh the guy gets his finger cut yeah. off <laughs> <laughs> he, he had some charisma <laughs> yeah well he's great because he because when thandie newton moves back in with her abusive ex uh, yeah. Doug, Doug Ray scott this one henchman just immediately hates her yeah and it's like it's funny because we know he's not right but he's his suspicions are founded in something yeah but he just so immediately turns on her it's like yeah. it's like he's secretly in love with with uh sean ambrose but I'd be like he that actor I don't know who he is had more charisma than Sean uh, than Doug Ray Scott and uh, Ethan or um, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, so Tom Cruise's charisma. Yeah. This is a, this is a recurring issue for you in these movies. Yeah. Do you want to speak on this? So I just don't <laughs> find Tom Cruise charismatic in any way, and I feel like he had to have been at some point in some way. But in all the movies I've seen him in, I just he is very like. The thing is, like, you don't identify with him at all. That's the thing. You don't. Like, if we're talking charisma in these movies, like, Ving Rhames has charisma out the ass. Like, he's the one that you, like, are drawn to. And I'm trying to figure out if, like, because I haven't actually seen Top Gun or Risky Business, which I would assume would be kind of what established Tom Cruise's mm. charisma. And I'm like, did he just become famous and lose that? Or was it, like, he's good-looking 
and like if we give him a good enough script, it will be okay. Because I don't know if it, his lack of charisma is the script, or if it's like the him. <laughs> my my theory, and I have not seen enough of his early movies to really base this in reality, but my theory is that is that his charisma has always been like this. Yeah, is he's like you said, a beautiful beautiful man with occasionally great hair. <laughs> But his intensity is what people are drawn to. In his early movies, a lot of them, he was not just like a charming, lovable character. Yeah. He was a guy who was driven to be the best. Yeah. And he wanted to do this one thing and do it as well as anyone has ever done it before. And he was going to prove everyone wrong. And, and that intensity was what made people like, was what people found compelling about him. Yeah. So I think he was always a little bit weird as a, like an action movie star or like a, as a like big name actor. As like a movie star, really. Yeah. But again, I think it's sort of is, in some ways, maybe another throwback to an old, like a different era of movie stars, where again, like, you know, what we think of as likable now is not like people didn't need Tom Cruise to actually be likable. They just needed him to be compelling to watch and magnetic, which he definitely is. Yeah. I'm, when you see him, <laughs> like, think about him in Rock of Ages. When he's on screen in Rock of Ages, you cannot look away. It is, and it's not because he's that good. It's just you like. But that, that he is good. He is that's what good. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants you to not be able to look away from him. Yeah. And that's kind of off-putting and weird. Yeah, I forgot that he was in Rock of Ages. I didn't <laughs> think about it all the time. Um, and I think maybe that's a me thing, too, because I don't necessarily find characters whose, like, thing is to be the best at something super compelling. Mm. I don't find characters who, like, are without fault. Like, because I think that's one of the problems of these movies or of Tom, of Ethan Hunt is that, like, he's perfect at his job like he's good at it and he doesn't make mistakes ever and that's just so unbelievable that it's it's fine in some ways but it makes him very unrelatable as a character because i think the in in action movies what i enjoy in an action hero is like you know there's some conflict in that like because you never think he's not gonna do it right like it's like you like there's tension and it might not but like He's always going to do it. Yeah. I think that tension is enough to carry you through the first movie because yeah. it's so well-crafted. And he, like, but it's so, not. Moment to moment, you're so consumed. It's like, how is he? Is he going to do it? Oh, no. He's, yeah. It's not working. Ah, what's going to happen? That you don't really need to stop and think about what's going on in Ethan's head right now. Yeah. What do I really like about him? Whereas 2, as different as it is... 2 asks you to do try, that. Tries to, I think, do a lot of the stuff that was done in 1 in a different way yeah. and just does not work at all. It's well, not, and it it's asks a, you to identify with Ethan yeah. and his emotions. And it's just not. But it places them in this wacky cartoon world yeah. that you never, that you could never identify with. Yeah. So I think it's, I guess his his charisma or lack thereof is is partially a me problem and partially a Tom Cruise is not necessarily charismatic as he is compelling. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. But yeah. I, I think there is a charisma to that. Yeah. Or it's like I heard, I heard someone once. I think it was the critic Angelica Jade. Maybe that was maybe someone else. But they referred to his anti charisma. I think that I don't know how that. That's I think I think that's. Maybe I don't think people would have called it that in like the eighties or nineties, mm -hmm. but now it's like Tom Cruise is is a weirdo, and I'm, we all know that. Yeah. And the movies, the better movies, acknowledge that, like yeah. Rock of Ages, for example. Yeah, and that makes him compelling and and again charismatic. And even though it's a weird, he's <laughs> doesn't seem I'm human. I'm trying to think if there's any other actors who that rings true for. There, I don't think there is. I think. Who's like intensity is what is interesting about well, them. When we were discussing this the other day, my my go to example was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he was not he was not like fun or like a good actor or relatable. Mm -hmm. He was just a big 
big, he was just a big guy. Yeah. And he walked around doing stuff and saying things in a very strange accent, at least strange to American audiences. Yeah. And that was compelling. Hmm. And he sort of is, I guess, as an actor, grown to be a little bit more like warm and compelling, but he's also kind of a bad person, so we don't need to get into that. <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 you're not wrong. Yeah. I just think... Well, I don't know. I, I, I guess like I, 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 there I, has to be some right. other actor who that's true about, like some method person, like like Daniel Day Lewis, right? Amazing actor. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call him charismatic. I don't know. Even in 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 um like Phantom Thread, where he's playing a guy who is very off-putting and has some real rough edges. Yeah. He is still like when you meet him through the eyes of like the the uh, the point of view character. Mm-hmm. You you could see why he is like lovable and like sort of there's he he's but he's also like driven to perfection yeah but there's also a sort of more traditional charm about him yeah he seems to exist in a world where people actually relate to another like human beings do maybe, maybe there is nobody else maybe it's just Tom Cruise there's nobody like him I can say that's definitely I mean true. that's definitely true yeah but we should move on moving on to a movie that tries another tactic to sort of fix the problem of Mission Impossible two. And it does. <laughs> Mission Impossible 3, The best baby. of the first three movies. Uh, I gotta say, I, I originally would have put one higher than three, yeah. but in this viewing of it, I really realized how much I really love this movie. It's good. It's good. It's J.J. Abrams, and it's got all the J.J. Abrams highlights. Yeah. Family drama, uh, spy stuff. Spy he stuff. basically made a, a movie version of uh, Alias. Because this is like Alias. I mean, he did Felicity before that. Yeah. But the Alias was like his his calling card at this point is he, yeah. like, he developed alias and like sort of brought it to the level it, it sort of sustained that for a while mm-hmm. and he, he and he, he he it looks so different it looks like a jj abrams movie does you know it's highly saturated um the sort of the glossiness of the second one is gone and also like the 2006 yeah six um there's not that many lens flares I didn't notice any anyway. There's some, yeah. but not a lot. He hadn't really gotten into not, that yet. Not totally J.J. Uh, Abrams' lens flare city yet. He hadn't gone full J.J. Not full J.J. But this movie, the cast is so, so good in this movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman is fucking killing uh, Philip it. Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain in this movie, and he He's is great. Rest in peace. He was so good in everything. He's the bad guy, and him and Ethan develop Talk about charisma. An actual, yeah, like, right? Like, as, as opposed to Sean Ambrose, that character from yeah. the two. Where it's, it's like, just like flat. It's a flat, nothing mm. boring character. Yeah. Uh, the character Philip Seymour Hoffman plays in this, whose name eludes me. Uh, Owen 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 Davian. Yeah. Davian. A, a very a very black market dealer name for a black market dealer. Yeah. Owen Davian Davian Owen. Davian. I think it's Davian. Davian yeah. is is this guy where he he and Ethan develop sort of an enmity where they sort of have a relationship, but it's not like the same sort of fake intimacy of the relationship with the villain in the second movie where it's you know we love the same woman that's somehow needed to compel me to do this stuff even though you're also trying to destroy the world with a virus mm-hmm. they like owen doesn't care about ethan no but he, he says and they have these moments where they share this like back and forth like that scene in the plane the interrogation scene mm-hmm. so good where there's this back and forth and, and owen is saying all this evil just movie villain stuff to ethan mm-hmm. and it could and it could play as like cliched or even hackneyed and boring but because of the choices uh, philip stimmer hoffman is making it's like owen's almost bored by what he's saying yeah like the stuff he's saying is like all the awful like terrible things he's threatening threatening to do that he does to a certain extent uh could follow through with are so secondhand to him or old hat i guess mm-hmm. that they 
he doesn't even really care about it. He's just doing it because that's what he does. That's how he works. He doesn't really care about Ethan, but he will destroy his life in the most horrible way possible just because he that's how he does things. And the, his casualness makes it so much more horrifying than if he was really like over the top and dramatic about it. Yeah, he's great. Lawrence Fishburne's in this? Uh, um, no. Yes. yes, yes. Lawrence, yes. Lawrence Fishburne is... He's He's good. He's the new head of IMF. Yes. We've gone from whoever played Kittredge, sorry, to He's Austin great. Hopkins, whoever played Kittredge, you, you're great. <laughs> to, to, to Lawrence Fishburne, who is great. Yeah. He has a couple of, I mean, he's just doing the Lawrence Fishburne so thing. So who it's is fantastic. Anthony Hopkins in the second one? He was the head of IMF. Okay. Henry Henry Charney is the, plays Kittredge. CZ. Man, good looking dude, by the way. Yeah. Even in two, well, that's 2012. Still, good looking mm-hmm. dude. But, um, and then we have... What's Simon 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 Pegg shows up. Simon Pegg shows up in a two scene role where he is still steals the show. Oh, uh, you love to see Simon Pegg. Uh, the biggest addition to this movie, though, is Michelle Monaghan. Yes, as Julia, aka Jules, aka Ethan's fiance, then wife. Yeah, and unlike the weird love story in two, this is actually grounded in human emotions. Like you meet them, and he's living a normal life. He's trying to get out of the spy world. He's still. Yeah. Working for IMF, but he's just training cadets. He's still kind of like dead in the eyes, but you believe that they have a relationship. Yeah, you believe like it's maybe like you know I don't know if you necessarily buy it. I honestly do. That has a lot to do with like stuff from later movies, honestly, that I won't get into yet. Yeah. But I I really sort of buy their relationship. I really kind of find it uh, oddly, uh, you know, sweet in a way, a little bit a little bit moving. Uh, again, we'll talk about this later in more detail, but. I buy that they are in a relationship and I buy that, you know, even if it feels weird to see Tom Cruise as, you know, Tom Cruise and this is the point in his career when he was trying to present himself as a family man, like, Oh, Katie Holmes, I'm so happy. We're married. Yeah, I'm normal. And so you kind of feel like that's maybe part of the agenda behind the sudden change mm-hmm. of Ethan, the family man, but I like it. And they sort of like, and the way that that ties into the plot is actually pretty well done. Yeah. And it doesn't feel forced. Like, Again, like number two. Well, yeah, and you like they're in an established relationship upon the opening of the movie, unlike the second movie where it's like we're supposed to believe they fell in love in like a week. Yeah. <laughs> or like like a day. Yeah. And like you see them as like just a normal happy couple just hosting yeah. a party. But the, the, I think... The, I love that party because all of her friends, like all the people that like he's clearly met since he's been with her, like think he's weird as fuck. Yeah. And that's where we start sort of leaning into the like, oh, Tom Cruise is a psychopath. But we're just going to acknowledge that within the realm of the movie. Yeah, they they, they haven't gone full full in with it yet. Yeah, they're, they're, no one's like, Jules, this dude's crazy. You shouldn't be with him. <laughs> but people are like, people are like, you can tell they think there's some kind of weird about this guy. Like we like him, but also, why is he like this? And oh, Billy Crudup's in this movie as the secret yes. real villain. He is great. Who's as well. oh, whose plan is to basically do a do an Iraq. Yeah. He's trying to do a Operation Desert Storm and like set it up with a conspiracy. So that's a very, very post 9-11 plot. Yeah. And that is like really buried in the movie. That sort of doesn't come into play in the actual storyline. It just sort of is revealed as his motivation later on. But it's a telling inclusion. Yeah. But the action's good. The plot's not too complicated. The genuine human emotions feel real. We got Maggie Q. Maggie Q is we, great. We got Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah, the t- there's a team again. A team that I like and I hope comes back. Carrie Russell is in here. Carrie Russell. Oh, Carrie Russell. Years before, she portrayed a spy in a much different story. Carrie Russell. I just had a, you know, what I've learned that Mission Impossible likes to kill the characters that I enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> you were so upset at Emilio Estevez and I asked you, Kelsey. I was like, yeah. it was like, do you want me to warn you 
if this sort of thing is going to happen again. And I said no because I wanted to feel the feelings. To your credit, you said no. But <laughs> I answered that because I knew it was going to happen again <laughs> With Carrie two Russell. movies later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it did. Also, Aaron Paul's in this movie, again, for two Aaron scenes. Aaron Paul's in this Aaron movie. Aaron Paul has as many scenes as Simon Pegg does. Yeah. And yet, Aaron Paul does not return in the following movies, whereas well, you know if Simon Pegg does. Simon he's, Pegg is great. He's, he's a major And Simon Pegg is basically like, like the Q, right? He is... Sort of, yeah. 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 A little he's bit. He's replacing the, you know, the, the like, a uh, gadget guy. Yeah, which Emilia Westphal kind of was in the first movie. Yeah. Where he's not like, it's not like his whole job, but he's sort of is the tech guy who gets yeah. roped into helping Ethan out a couple of times. Yeah. And it's very funny because Simon Pegg is just a charming dude to watch. Yeah. He's and great. Everyone's so good in this movie. Like, the acting is so good. The action is, is not quite at the level of precision it was in the first movie. Like I said, they are blowing stuff up a lot. Mm. But still is very, like, energetic and, like, propulsive and exciting in a way that 2 is so... Two, you know, I'm, I'm nothing, Two's just very flat. Like, nothing, everything about yeah, it is flat. Nothing against John Woo. He's a very stylish director, and he's done yeah. a lot of good stuff. But that movie feels very flat. Mm-hmm. But this movie, like, even if the things they're doing aren't quite as as well choreographed or as, like, elaborately put set together or put together, it feels more immediate and exciting. Well, Al- and I, also, he, Ethan dies. <laughs> he dies for, like, he a does. minute. <laughs> and I think that's part of, like, putting people around Tom Cruise that are, like, charismatic in a more traditional way um whereas like they didn't really do that in the second one other than ving rames you're asked more to identify with ethan in the second one but you're not necessarily asked to do that in the third one yeah that's it they're true they, they surround him with people who are like not All very sen- compelling in their own right yes just yeah. fun to watch yeah whereas Two does not really have like that. even like Maggie Q and John Reese Myers like appear like who are, who have very few lines and are very much just there for like action support. I love Maggie Q. I kind of hope she comes back, but I'm not gonna count on it. Um, <laughs> um, like they feel like they have a relationship and like are like like they all feel like full fully formed characters in a way that the people in Two don't. They feel like even though like Simon Pegg only has a few lines, the two of them only have a few lines. There's a lot of people with only a few lines, but they all feel like people. Yeah, they're this. They 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 they. Maybe introduce, it's better writing. They they bring mm-hmm. things. They bring this back in the third movie. It existed sort of very briefly in the first movie when yeah. there was a team to do this mm-hmm. with. But there have been teams throughout the other two movies. There's, this doesn't happen with them, but yeah. they're bantering throughout the the job. Yeah, like as they're doing this mission, these missions. They're talking to each other and like mm-hmm. Maggie Q and John Reese Myers are like having banter yeah. and like with Ethan and Luther as well. Yeah. But like Luther and Ethan are having like an ongoing discussion about like, is it right for us to do this job when like, mm-hmm. and like have like loved ones like could be put at risk. Yeah. And the movie, I guess eventually decides like, yeah, it's okay. As yeah. long as you can, as long as you're willing to fucking die for it. Yeah. And you can teach your wife to use a gun in like 10 seconds. Yeah. As long as you're really committed to it, it'll work. Maybe that's why I like this movie so much. That says you can make things work if everyone is really committed to it, and that's one thing you can you can't say about Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt is he's not committed. He's very he committed. is committed. He is the definition. Um, and so it introduces this level of like personality and and like character interaction between the teammates that was present not, for half a second in the first one. Yeah, yeah, not absent from the from the first one, but not a major focus. Whereas this it begins to make the shift towards these being characters you would actually want to return to yes and it's never going to be a character driven movie but there is you know your affection for these characters begins to be important yeah and that will that will pay off um to great effect as the movies go on i'm excited for it so that's all i would have to say i mean i could say about an hour's more worth of stuff but we're 
already going longer than I thought we would. <laughs> so I'll just say, Kelsey, do you have anything else to say? What are your thoughts about these three movies? Um, I will say that when you pitched this to me, you kind of pitched it as these movies are action movies kind of in the vein of the Fast and Furious movies in that they increase in quality, mm-hmm. um, which is what kind of convinced me to watch them because I think those movies, and it sounds like these movies, start to um, have... Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Well, they start to understand what they are better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's a word that I was looking for that I can't that I can't place right now. But like they, they start to understand what they are better and don't and lean into that instead of trying to like shy away from it, which I really appreciate in media in general nowadays. Like I appreciate not having to have like to make the decision your audience isn't going to expect, you know, like I really appreciate giving the audience what they want sometimes and, and providing a storyline that makes sense. But yeah, so I think I think there's something you said for like leaning into what you are and like not feeling like you have to like innovate. I, like I, that sounds bad, but like because there there is innovation in both of those franchises and like different areas. But like I think you know story wise and genre wise and, and character wise, like you don't always have to do the unexpected. You can kind of just make something really crowd pleasing and fun. And I appreciate a film or a franchise that realizes that and is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you basically the same story over and over again, just sort of bend it a little bit differently because that's what you want. And I appreciate that. So I'm excited for the back half of this sexology. Yeah, well, there's more to say on that subject for sure next time. Uh, For now, I'll just say my, I'm not going to elaborate on this, but I think there's a lot of interesting overlap between those two franchises. But the thing is that in this movie, uh, Mission Impossible 2 is both the goofy, over-the-top follow-up, yeah. as in Too Fast, Too Furious, yeah. but it's also the overly serious and not very fun uh, fourth movie. Right. <laughs> they, just, they got them both into one movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Special thanks. Oh, now I'm just more excited about Special- Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> God, okay. It's going to be so bad, and I'm excited about oh, it. Oh, my God. We're going to see it. That's, I mean, that's both the, the, the positive and negative thing about Mission Impossible. There yeah. will never be a Hobbs and Shaw type movie out of this franchise. We don't know that. <laughs> that's true. I feel like Hobbs wasn't introduced until like six or seven. Ye- Maybe five. He, he might have been in five. five. Shaw was not there till six. Yeah. No, seven. There's still time. And we still haven't gotten to the seventh Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. We, oh, God. Talking <laughs> about like Luther teaming up with like... A bad guy played by... Daniel Brühl. Daniel <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, That'd that, be good. That's Bing all, Rames that's and Daniel all Brühl. we do in this podcast is pitch spinoff starring Daniel Brühl. I love Daniel Brühl. He's great. I love him. More Brühl, please. That's, please. Our, that's our next podcast, the Brühl cast. Brühl rules. <laughs> Brühl rules. <laughs> I mean, this podcast is going to slowly become that podcast. <laughs> yeah. like, just piece by piece until yeah. people don't even notice. It's like the ship of Theseus. We're going to swap out the podcast for a new podcast so gradually. It's they like, won't even notice. When did it even happen? Yeah. Is it even the same podcast anymore? What happened? Uh, anyway. For this podcast, special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willow disputes of their song, Outside in the Rain, available now on Bandcamp from their self-titled album. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Review. 
five stars. Give us five review. Give us five stars. Five, five stars. stars. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Email us. E- email. You can email us. What is our email address, Kelsey? Ruinmylifecast at gmail.com. There it is. I haven't checked it in a while. We might have emails. I'm not sure I've ever checked it. <laughs> so maybe don't email us. Or no, no, do. Two. This is the email challenge. <laughs> um, every person emails us will get nothing. Nothing. I mean, email us if you want to be on the show. Yeah. We're in our lives. We get an email. I guess I'll just read it on the show. I don't yeah. know. Seems like an easy way to fill time. Yeah. Although our problem not that is, we need to do our that. Is, yeah, our problem is not filling time. Our problem is getting me to shut up. And Aww. on that note, I will do just that. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me On this episode Bum, 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 bum that's pretty good pretty good <laughs>